on Monday morning, I had the chance to catch up with a friend. I would call him a friend down in Tennessee. I think probably most of you know that I was down in Tennessee for six or seven days. And one of the things that I wanted to do was meet up with a, a gentleman who I've been interacting with for a little while who is giving me some mentorship on how to lead churches that are trying to be missional community oriented. And so I want to pick his brain a little bit and he shared with me some ideas and some insight and um, it's going to be an ongoing conversation. But one of the things that he shared with me I thought was very insightful. Many things I thought were very insightful. But he said that churches and religious organizations can basically operate from two basic principles. It's either one of these principles or the other of these principles. And he said, we organize ourselves either around right belief or out of relationship. And those two paradigms are fundamentally going to lead you to different directions. Now, by God's grace, I would submit that hopefully it's a both and, but we can either put our foundation on right belief or we can put it on relationship. As I was thinking a little bit more about what he offered, I actually thought, well, maybe there's another R that people operate from. There are what I deem to be three R's of the organizing principles of religious life, there are, and this is the one that I would add, you can operate from rules. Your religious experience and your religious outlook can be born out of and based upon trying to follow rules. I think many people, if they were to tell you why they don't really have much room for religion in their life, it's because they have either encountered from afar, or they have experienced on their own this sort of paradigm that religion, religious life, is based on following a certain set of rules. And then there is, of course, what he submitted, and that was right belief, where we are, we are operating from a, a dogmatic perspective where in order to be a part of a particular religious body, you have to check off the boxes, right? You have to submit to the dogma. You have to believe all the right things that the other people in the group believe. Or, as he submitted, the other way is relationship. And I have, I have news for you. Relationship is messy. Have you noticed that? It can't fit neatly in a box. You can't necessarily quantify it. You can't put it in a nice box and put a bow on it and wrap it up. And and you can't systematize it. And people won't fit in those boxes very often. Because relationship is complicated. There was a book a few years ago that a gentleman wrote that I never actually read, but I loved the title of it. It was called Relationships, A Mess Worth making. Was that how it went? Something like that? And, it's, and that's what the reality of relationships is. Now, there is another way that I've heard it described, these three fundamental organizing principles, and some have put it this way. These are now the three B's 
of religious experience, okay? And they often come in order. It goes like this. First of all, a person must behave, then they believe, and then they can what? They can belong. That's so often what religious experience comes down to. I've heard people say this, not in those terms, because none of us would ever admit to it explicitly, right? But in order to belong, you first have to jump through these other hoops. You first have to behave the right way, and then you have to believe the right way, and then we will embrace you because you now belong. Of course, other people submit that maybe it should be inverted. It should be put on its head. First of all, we belong. That's relationship, right? And it's as we feel like we belong that we start to believe the things that those people to whom we belong also believe. And then that will lead to certain behaviors that might be in line with Scripture. Well, you guys already know the punchline. But I want to look at a story from the Bible this morning that sort of lays out Jesus' paradigm of his understanding of what the religious life is all about. And it's found in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at it in Mark chapter 3. And of course, it will be up on the screen for those of you who are inclined to tilt your neck way up. Uh, But it's Mark chapter 3. This story is also told a little differently in Luke chapter 14. But we're going to look at it from Mark chapter 3 this morning. Mark chapter 3. And we'll pick it up right there in verse 1. This is from the New King James Version. Notice what the gospel writer Mark says. He says, And he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they, that is the religious leaders, check out what they do. They watched him closely. Now, the word that is used here, theoretically, it's good to watch Jesus closely, right? I mean, if any any person is worthy of our inspection and of our close examination, if anyone is worthy of our observation, it is Jesus. Yet the word that is used here is not a good word. What Mark is describing is people who are looking at Jesus, examining him closely to come up with some thing that they can complain or fault him for. That's what's happening here. It said they watched him closely whether he would heal the man on the what? What was the day? On the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What a life to live, huh? What an experience to have. And unfortunately, I admit all too freely that I have been there myself. And sometimes I'm even there presently that I often will look to other people to try to examine their life and their behavior so that I can find something to, to fault them for. And I can justify my opinions of them. And then oftentimes I'll go out and gleefully report to other people and say, oh, you'll never guess what so-and-so is doing. Oh, you, you should hear, you should see what they were saying or what they were eating or what they were th- you know, watching or what they were wearing They must not be truly devoted to God. This this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were looking to catch Jesus in some sort of misbehavior so that they could accuse him before others. They were obsessed with 
getting Jesus in a trap. Now, of course, Mark goes on to explain, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, I love this question, then he said to them, is it lawful, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I love how Jesus frames this question. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty interesting way to frame it, isn't it? You see, God had given this beautiful gift of the Sabbath to the Jewish people, and it was supposed to be a blessing to all the world. But what they had done is they had made it about a day of rules and regulations. They had made it, they had turned it into a day of do's and don'ts. In fact, they had 39 laws. It's hard to believe that there's one commandment that talks about the Sabbath, but they were able to come up with 39 ways to protect the sanctity of the Sabbath in their mind. And so as you maybe have read before in the Gospels, they would have this rule, for example, that you could only walk so far on the Sabbath day. And, they, and, and what they would do to get around that, by the way, if they had to go more than what they call a Sabbath day's journey, they could actually go so far and they could take out a little food and then they could stop and they could start eating that food. And after they'd done with it, the, the trip could start over again. Isn't that awesome? So that's what they would do. Things like that is what they became so preoccupied with. Now, I want to mention that lest we vilify such people, a lot of it was born out of insecurity. A lot of it was born out of the desire to truly make sure that they, as God's people, never fell into apostasy again so that they didn't have to go back into exile like they had before. Because they had been unfaithful to God, and so they say, we never want to go into Babylon again. We never want to be wiped off the map again. And so we need to be faithful to God. And so they went around and were like the perfection police. That's what I sometimes call them. They were the perfection police. They would look at other people, because they had this idea, by the way, uh, the Jewish mindset, the Jewish tradition was, if every Jew could perfectly keep the Sabbath just one week, then the Messiah would come. Now, what's ironic, of course, is the Messiah was there, wasn't he? But they were examining, and Jesus says, is it lawful? Is it, is it, is it within the law, the parameters of the law on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? In other words, what is this day fundamentally about? Is it about keeping rules meticulously and trying to stay within the borders and the parameters of this strict interpretation of this day? Or is it about a day of life and relationship and love? Now, what goes on to happen, but they kept silent. They couldn't answer him. Either they couldn't or they didn't, but they kept silent. They were not going to, to step into his trap. Now, check this out. And when he had looked around at them with, oh man, is, could this next line, this next word be true? I was actually just talking to my kids this week about anger. And I said, you know what? It's okay to be angry sometimes. As a matter of fact, it is maybe not okay to not be angry at times. But because Jesus was looking out at people who were more concerned about one of those R's, 
more than the other one. What was the R that they were more concerned about? They were more concerned about the rules. They were more concerned about the behavior more than they were concerned about the person who was suffering right in front of their eyes. And so that angered Jesus. That absolutely killed him because they were missing the very heart of what it means to be created in God's image. They were missing the very heart of what it means to be a follower of God. And so it overwhelmed him with anger. And it says he was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And when he stretched out his hand and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Now check this out. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against them how they might destroy him. Now, we could go into a whole exposition on why they were doing that and what it meant that they wanted to destroy him. But, friends, that's what what the heart of a rules-based religion takes us. That's the logical conclusion is when we prioritize what we deem to be our security by measuring up and following the rules over people's lives and their well-being and their their safety and their their life. And so it brought this, this, this wrath upon these people. And they wanted to destroy him. Now, there's a line I came across a few weeks ago. I was reading, uh, I was looking up the word tradition in, this, uh, in the writings of this one lady that I particularly appreciate, Ellen White. And I found this one to be very fascinating. This is not a sermon on the Sabbath per se, but it definitely has uh, intersects with it. But notice what she says, Ellen White, in this book, The Desire of Ages. She said, Christ did not hesitate to break down the wall of traditional requirements that did what? Check out this word. That barricaded the Sabbath. These people were barricading. In other words, they were making the the people, the Jewish people, they were making it hard for them to enter into what the Sabbath was truly all about. They were putting a wall between the people and the Sabbath. They were barricading it off to them so that they could not access what it was at, what, what the heart of the Sabbath was all about. Because they were more concerned with towing the line. They were more concerned with the rules than the relationship. There's a, an author that I, I've come to enjoy. Actually, Jonathan and Cameron and I read a book of his uh, last year called Everybody Always. His name is Bob Goff. Any of you ever heard of him or read any of his books? He's a pretty crazy guy, really interesting. But he he wrote this really well-known book called Love Does and then Everybody Always. And um, this line I really appreciate more than others. He said, loving people the way Jesus did means being constantly misunderstood. You know, the people thought to, about Jesus, I mean, it's, this guy doesn't care, care about the Sabbath. This guy doesn't care about the, the commandments of God. He's just throwing all the stuff out. That's what Jesus risked by entering close and bringing people in. And it goes on to say, I love this line, but loving people the way Jesus did is always great theology. Isn't that awesome? That's, a, that's, that's what the heart of right belief is. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus. Now, lest we kind of 
skip the middleman because so often in my own listening, I hear a lot of preachers, and I am guilty of doing it myself, and maybe not even preachers, but, but followers of Jesus. We kind of cut out the middleman and we say, oh, all, all that matters is we love other people. But here's the reality. That's, we're, we're not just in the business of, of peddling a humanistic, let's love everybody. We are in the business of, of encountering, first of all, the love of Jesus that he has for us. Because at the heart of the Christian message is not that we are to love others, it's, the, it's that the great other, God, has loved us. And that's, that's, the, that's the amazing, mind-blowing reality of the Jesus message. It's, yes, we're, we're being called to love other people as Jesus did, but that cannot be accomplished simply by us trying to do it. It's only as we encounter the reality of the love of Jesus and we see it in his posture towards this man with the withered hand, don't we? The, the posture and the, and the direction of God is always moving in closer to us. That's what the incarnation, the enfleshment of God is all about is that God comes closer and closer to us. And in our brokenness and in our pain and in our sin, he doesn't push us away. He doesn't keep us at arm's length. He pulls us in and he draws close to us. And that's the heart of the Christian message. And as we experience that, as it, as it inhabits and fills up our hearts, it flows out to others. But we can't get to that part until we first encounter the love of God in Christ. And so the heart of that message is you and I encountering the heart of God. That's, that's, the, that's the, the pivotal part here. That's the most important part. But as it does, as I said, it transforms us. You know, I know that some people, and as I think about even our, our seating arrangement here, as we're sitting around tables, you know, there's some people who might say, well, you guys are focusing too much on the imminence of God. Do you know what that big fancy term is? Oh, imminence. What's imminence? Anybody know? Jim. It's contrasted to transcendence. Ah. Yes. The closeness of God. And people want to remind us. And I think that's rather appropriate that, you know, God is close, but he's also big. He's small, but he's also big. He, he's, he's definitely with us, but he's also away from us. And if we don't keep these things in tension, and I fully agree with it, then we will lose an appreciation for the reality of his sacrifice. Because if he's just like this dude that's always with us, we may not understand his power and his grandeur and his glory. And yet I want to submit this to you. That what makes God so wholly other, what makes him so different than us, and what brings us humility and causes us to fall on our faces and say we are not worthy, is not some notion of his great grandeur and glory that, that, that is expressed in his like justice or his law. What makes him so incredibly other than us, check this out, you know what it is? It's his radical and complete other-centered love. That's how he's different than us. We like to think, oh God, like, and there's certain 
Christian theologies that say God's glory is the most important thing that we could talk about. And, and then that term is never defined, but God's glory is his radical, other-centered, self-sacrificing love. That's what's going to like really make us self-conscious when we come into his presence. It's not going to be like, oh man, he's a really good rule follower. He is, of course. He, he, he is the rules. But at the heart of those rules is this radical, other-centered love. And have you ever been in the presence of somebody who is so radically other-centered in their love and, and we're just like, oh man, it's embarrassing because I'm not like that. But that very radical, other-centered love embraces and draws us in. There's this other quotation that I thought of this week. It's also from the book, The Desire of Ages. And uh, I'm sorry I keep quoting this woman, but like she just has such... I'm not sorry, but you know I keep going back to the well here. But, uh, but just over and over and over again, check this out. Speaking of the dichotomy between right belief, rules, and relationship, many take it for granted that they are Christians simply because they subscribe to certain theological tenets. Interesting. Yep, check off the boxes, got the right dogma, got it. Yep, so I'm a Christian. Now, none of us consciously say that, probably. Notice what she goes on to say, but they have not brought the truth into practical life. They have not believed and loved it. Now, is it wrong to have certain theological tenets? Is that a bad thing? No, but only as they're properly understood and properly embraced. She goes on to say, Therefore, they have not received the power and grace that come through sanctification of the truth. Now, check out. This is one of the biggest mic drops that you'll ever read, okay? I don't have a mic, but I have this. Maybe I'll drop it. She says, men and women, you women aren't getting off the hook here, all right? Don't try. Men and women may profess faith in the truth, but if it does not make them sincere, kind, patient, forbearing, heavenly-minded, it is, are you ready for it? It is a curse to its possessors. And through their influence, it is a curse to the world. Dropped it. Hopefully I didn't break it. So check this out. She is proposing that if we are touting these dogmas and these beliefs, and we say you've got to measure up and subscribe to them, but we are simultaneously these miserable, unforgiving, impatient, unkind people. We are actually tarnishing that truth. And it's better off if we didn't even tout it at all. Because the world would not experience the curse of it if we weren't doing that. Something like that in 1 Corinthians 13, I seem to remember. Yeah. So, is the goal then to throw the truth out? Is that what we're invited to do? Is it to say, well, these things don't matter. Just Let's just have all this free love going around. It's to embrace the truth as it is in Jesus and to understand the heart of what it means to be a Jesus person. Now, I know that I sound like a broken record. I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm sorry. But I, I, we can't hear it enough. 
And we can't be reminded of it enough. And I needed to preach this to myself this week. Some of you, and I won't go into all the details, I've already shared it with some of you, but I had a really rough Wednesday night. It was the night before I came back here from Tennessee. I was beat up and uh, had some conversations with some folks that um, I felt really drained after. Um, I won't go into all of it or any of it. Uh, I'm not going to say, because I want to be respectful of of such individuals. But it, it was just, it was really one of the harder experiences I've had in a while. So um, the next morning I was leaving to come to Bangor and I uh, go, I have to wake up at 5.30, no, it was earlier than that, I can't remember exactly what time it was, to get to the airport in Chattanooga and I threw up at Chattanooga and my flight was delayed by 90 minutes and I'm tired and, you know, it wasn't the end of the world because I found out that my connecting flight in Philadelphia, there was one that was just two hours later that could get to Bangor, and so everything was okay. So I, I, I go to Philadelphia, I have a couple hours to sit around, and then I get on my plane in, in Philadelphia to come to Bangor, and this big guy sits down next to me. Now, remember, I wasn't supposed to be on this flight, right? This big guy sits down next to me, and I'm in that zone where I just don't really want to talk because, you know, I'm feeling tired. I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed. I don't want to do this, this uh, witnessing thing, you know, because I, I was just burned out. And so I tried to kind of just ignore him. And, um, but then something caught my eye. I noticed that he was typing with one finger on this little, like, um, tablet. Just one finger, and he's going, and he's going. And for, like, the first hour, he's just typing away. And so, like, I kind of looked, and I saw him mention stuff like church and Christianity and Jesus. And I'm like, oh, okay, what do we got here, you know? Um, So eventually the lady comes by with the uh, beverage cart. And so I finally say to him, I said, so you're a man of faith, are you? And he's like, what's that? (laughs) He had, like, hearing aids, and he couldn't hear anything, basically. And I said, I said, are you a man of faith? He goes, oh, yeah, I've been a pastor for 45 years. And uh, he's, he looks at my book. I was reading a book on, um, I won't go into what the book was, but he, he, was, he was curious about it. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been a pastor for 45 years. And then he just launched into, like, a 40-minute soliloquy. And he said, you know, I've been with all people from all different extremes religiously. He said, I've been with the extreme Calvinists, and I've been with the extreme Arminians. You guys probably don't know what those things mean, but he's like, I've been with the Seventh-day Adventists. I was like, well, that's, that's me. He's like, no, 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 that's okay, that's okay. He's like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I've been with them all. He's like, and you know what it all comes down to? This is what it all comes down to. He said, it all comes down to this. Relationship, relationship, relationship. It's like there are so many people who are in these narrow little boxes. Narrow little boxes. And they make such a big deal about all these little peripheral things They're so caught up. He literally said this. They are so caught up in formality and they miss the heart 
of what it's all about to be a follower of Jesus. Now, he said the exact things that I was beat up about the night before. He affirmed the very things that I was being criticized about. And then he said this. I thought this was fascinating even. Really fascinating. He said, you know what? It's all about loving God and loving people. And he said, even Ellen G. says that. (laughs) I said, what? (laughs) I said, I was able to shout at him. he He brought his ear over. I said, you're just playing to the crowd now. He goes, well, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter where it comes from. I said, man, this man is an angel of God sitting right next to me. Usually, us pastors, we have all these stories about being on planes and, you know, having these conversations and ministering to people that I was the one being ministered to that day. God put an angel in the form of a pastor right there to remind me that it's all about relationship, relationship, relationship. What's interesting is he gave me his name. He came out of, uh, and he's still in it, kind of the Jesus people movement. And yes, and he's, uh, he's, he lives communally in the city of Chicago. And I went to his blog, his website, and there was a word that caught my attention that was just so fascinating. Here he is, by the way, up. I could come to this first. If the heart of our religious... We'll come back to that. I don't know if you can see him very well there. There's my angel. He looks like an angel, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he writes music. He goes around. He, has, he, he meets people in prisons. He said, my wife and I have lived in a single room for like 40 years. A little tiny room. But notice this. He says, this is me, Glenn Kaiser, blessed husband, father, grampy. I'm a pastor, chaplain, musician, and just another bro on the block trying to grow and be a gift rather than, check this out, a curse to people I come into contact with. What was it that Sister Ellen G. said? (laughs) The truth can become a curse to the world if it doesn't change the people who possess it. So you and I, you and I, this is what I skipped over here. Trying to go back to the previous slide. For some reason, it doesn't like to go back. If I dropped it, that's right, that's right. If the heart of our religious experience is not about loving God and loving people, then we are doing it wrong. It's that simple. I mean, you guys have heard this a thousand times. I'm sorry again for... Sound like a broken record. But this is what it means at the heart to be Jesus' people is to allow the good news of God's self-sacrificial, boundless love to fill us up so much that we say, God, I want to love you and I want to love people by your grace. And all the other stuff is just kind of peripheral in details. And yeah, it's going to fill out the picture of who you are because you are a God of great character and depth, but those things are not the dogmatic rules and regulations that help us understand who's in and who's out. It's it's how can we understand God better? How can we love people better? So, did you need to hear any of that this morning, or is it just me? Uh, Maybe... 
You've been trying to figure it out. Maybe you've been doubting whether you're on the right path. Maybe you've, you're having a hard time believing that it could be that simple and that easy. And you say, it has to be about something more. And it is about something more. It's about going deeper into God's heart. But as we go deeper, our love goes deeper for others. So don't, don't resist. Don't fight that invitation, that drawing. Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all to myself. 